Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film stays course. This week's film is Reign of Fire. It is all about the uh, the aftermath of Mount Vesuvius eruptions. And uh, no, Rain. It's so much better than that. That's a homophone. No, I get what you're doing there. <sighs> We're not homophones here. We're inclusive of all groups. <sighs> That was very funny. That was very funny. Um, no, we're going to talk about uh, Batman Fights Dragons, and it's going to be uh, good times uh, for... Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought this was the movie where the Lincoln lawyer was the defense attorney for a bunch of dragons. Now, hold on. I thought this was the movie where the guy from 300 rode dragons. Leonidas rides dragons. Tonight, we defend in hell. This movie is fucking great. It's a good time. So uh, let's go ahead and identify these disembodied voices speaking to your brain. Who are you across the way, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and when I'm running for my life, I generally don't look back at the plumbing. That's a very good point, sir. Who are you to my left? My name is Dalton Stewart, and look at that window. Eden isn't burning. He's burnt. <laughs> my name is Dustin Sells. The only thing worse than dragons is Americans. And facts. He, facts. Truth. So here we go. We're going to do this thing where we're going to talk about this movie, but this is the first time you've tuned into the Good Trash Genre cast. You might want to be warned of a few things. This is not a review show. Oh, no. Nary, it isn't. It is a spoiler show, and that means... Spoiler show. It is an analysis show, which means it is a spoiler show. That's exactly what it means. H- however you order those words. and uh, as The such, journey's more important than the destination. Absolutely. You can't really talk about a film unless you talk about what happens. And so in order to do that, we will save that discussion, though, towards the last half of the show. So the first half of the show, you do have a spoiler-free zone in which you hear a synopsis from the voice of the cinema. You hear thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, and gameplay. Gameplay may involve the mildest of spoilers, but not for the most part. And then we get down to business. There is a musical cue to let you know that we have done just that, and then all spoiler bets are off. You have been warned. So, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, let's hear that synopsis. This is me introing the synopsis because I was not ready with it now. All right. I really liked you vamping, though. That was very good. <laughs> that was fantastic. We really need a stinger for that. That was great. <laughs> a brood of fire breathing dragons emerges from the hearth. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> You'll get there. Harry Hole. <laughs> No! (laughs) A brood of fire-breathing dragons emerges from the earth and begins setting everything ablaze, establishing dominance over the planet. Yeah, that's what I... It's a post-apocalyptic dragon movie. Yes, it is. Is this called... Are we considering this dragon punk? I think that's what this needs to be called. I believe that this is Dragon Punk. Dragon Punk. That's what this movie is. Oh, my. It's medieval post-apocalyptic, and I love that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was an aesthetic I have been missing I my know. entire Agreed. life. I uh, know. It's, it's, it's what if Skyrim and Fallout were the same thing. And we're jumping ahead here uh, into review, but I it works so well. Yeah, it does. It integrates together so well. It does. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So, well, I guess without any further ado, though, let's get right into those reviews. Um, Arthur, you sort of couldn't not start already. I couldn't wait. Yeah, he uh, couldn't wait. He, it I was know. like a fire in my belly just waiting to escape. Um, and since I'm a male of the race, I have also these weird gases that erupt as well at the same time. It's an odd choice. Yeah. And they um, combine. It's a weird design flaw. Um, I, I like this movie. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I remember when it came out, I didn't get to see it, but uh, 
uh, and I'd kind of written it off as just a, a sh- you know, what it is. It's a kind of cheesy B movie action movie. Um, but seeing it now, almost what, uh, sixteen years later, yeah, uh, something like that. Uh, and and knowing the career tra- trajectory of the the, the ensemble, I, I think it's a lot of fun to go back and look at that as kind of a before they were famous mm-hmm. piece. Um, but also, it's just a fun uh, genre film. It's it's a good time. I, I love, like I said, I love that aesthetic of this uh, post apocalyptic. I can't talk today. Um, it's a hard word. Let's is. be honest. Post apocalyptic uh, medieval mashup. I, I I think it works so well. It, it's because they utilize. Uh, they're set so well, setting it at this kind of isolated castle um, outside of London uh, just works uh, great. And they're kind of costuming. They've kind of got this, it's not quite medieval, but it's kind of like they got like Under Armour-ish type garb on. You, you can tell that like fatigues. they had all the same stuff we did when the world ended, but yeah. they've had to cobble it together yeah. in a kind of a feudalistic society type way. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like that. I like this kind of world that's built here, and I, I like the way it's put together. It's weird seeing Christian Bale use his accent. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, mo- I don't know the last time I've seen him use a film where he uses his I don't think his that's accent. his accent, though. I think he goes for a North English, more Londoner kind of thing. And isn't he Welsh? I believe he is yeah, Welsh. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. still, he's not doing an American accent. Ah, uh, true. That's, yeah. what, that's it, what I was getting at. It's not so far from home. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a slight tweak in the, the dialect um, rather than a complete change of voice. Uh, and and that's cool. And just kind of know where he would go on to do is this is a lot of fun to see him here. And McConaughey's a blast, uh, bald, uh, grizzled, uh, f- ready to fight anything. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is is just a great time when he shows up in his bomber jacket with the sleeves cut off, uh, ready to go. <sighs> uh, it's great. Uh, the costuming <sighs> here is, is fantastic. I mean, there's little things that really work in this film: uh, the set design, the costuming, uh, all those kind of visual aesthetics. As far as you know, the direction and, and the writing and things like that, nothing stellar. Uh, I can't remember the director's name, but he primarily worked in TV, a lot of X Files stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he directed the first X Files film, and so that's kind of you know a lot of his background is in, in just in fil- uh, TV. Um, but he's capable enough to get this working, and I think it's because he has such a good cast and a great premise. I mean, just that idea of what if dragons came back is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I like that about this. Um, so. Uh, I'm sure there's some, you know, there are flaws. It's, I mean, it is what it is. It's a, kind of an action. I mean, it's a B movie action film. Um, you've kind of got your your standard stuff. Uh, you know, none of the writing's stellar. The direction's not stellar. It's just a fun, easy to watch film, uh, which is kind of refreshing in the in the uh, last few weeks of stuff we've seen. It's kind of a return to form for us, mm-hmm. and as far as our selections go. Uh, so I'm glad I finally got around to watching this. I uh, highly enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty positive on this one. All righty. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Thumbs up, thumbs down review. I have to agree with Arthur. I am also very positive on this. Uh, friend of the show, uh, co-host of the Heath, uh, the Praise Down with Heath and Alex, uh, Heath Huffman watched this with me, and he put it very succinctly. It is lowercase g good. And that's what it is. And yet, there's a lot of fun stuff going on on the fringes of this film, including a wonderful moment that we'll probably talk about in analysis where uh, Matthew McConaughey says, use it in response to somebody being reminded of a childhood trauma, which is a great moment in a pretty silly film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as Arthur put it, this movie really comes together. The second Matthew McConaughey rides over a hill in a tank and gets out with his shaved head and his big bushy beard and his crazy eyes (laughs) and says... 
Hey, I thought I saw something in those eyes. Howdy. <laughs> and tells a story about killing a dragon in Nebraska. It is buck wild. The, the thing that's great about McConaughey in this movie is he's not famous enough to get stuck in all the rom-coms he got stuck in for a decade because he's so damn handsome. Yeah. And he's just getting to be weird, wild-eyed character actor Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. And it's... It's so fun to see somebody at this early stage in their career begging for weird roles and getting pigeonholed for, you know, looking like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> he's so good in this movie and steals every scene that he's in. Now, Christian Bale's no slouch here either. No. I think he's got a real... He he brings a seriousness to the film that it desperately needs, and I think him and McConaughey both do that. I think Gerard Butler does that a little bit too. Um, everybody in this film does a really good job of showing up to play and uh, I love it. I, I absolutely love it, and uh, I think it's a hoot. So yeah, I I, I think all the most interesting things for us to talk about are going to be in analysis, so I'm going to leave it at that for now. Uh, other than, yeah, Arthur's right. It's just a great idea, executed pretty competently. All righty, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What, do you think I don't like Batman versus <laughs> Dragons? Are you serious? Yeah, no, I think you're in for this. I'm all in, yeah, this is so much fun. You know, is it a great... You know, the CGI is bad. The score is bad. Sometimes the direction is uninspired. Sometimes the performances are a little wooden. But I don't care because Leonidas fights dragons. Sometimes the dragons are... look better than I expected. Yeah. yeah. But before you get on the CGI too much, they do a good job of hiding their limits, I think. Uh... Okay. Except, for, well, look, that opening's not good. No, but it's for the most, 2002. There's not going to be a lot from that era that looks good anymore. No, but they do a pretty good job of hiding that the yeah. dragons don't look great. Right. So, you know, are there other things I could quibble with? Are there characters that are sort of underdeveloped that I'd like to hear more? I'd like to hear more about that kid that that Christian Bale found. I'd like to hear more about uh, Ale- Alexa or whatever her name was. Um, she she's the she she's doesn't the have Amazon to do. response. This is the great pilot for a TV show we never got. I would like to hear more all about all of those things. But you know what? I don't care. You know why? Because that stripper from Magic Mike is going to fight dragons. <laughs> that is Base. my all point. Right, all right. The law says you cannot touch my weird tattoos. So yeah, you get you get the Magic Mike XXL guy. You get Leonidas. He's, you get Batman, and they fight dragons. I don't care what happens next. I'm going to watch this movie hard, and I did, and it was fun. And I remember seeing it when it first came he out. He watched it hard. I watched it so hard. Um, and, and then I wasn't. He was all up over that TV. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> me, me and Gimli. <laughs> we we caught you. Oh God, Gimli. Is that dog still alive? Yeah, Gimli's still around. Jesus age Christ. That dog has got to be a hundred years old. <laughs> I think he's only like ten. I can't. I just assumed the dog died. I've no. never. That's why I stopped talking to him. Uh, no, no, no. Silly dog. Anyway, anyway sorry. Uh, totally fine. <laughs> so, talking about Dustin's dogs. That's not uh, what this show's about. Uh, no, not at all. This is not a local podcast. But we do know this. Um, I had a fun time watching the movie. I recommend it highly. I mean, I don't know what else you want from me. Uh, it, I mean, it is what it's. It's a snakes on the plane kind of thing, but that's fine. Um, give me those characters fighting dragons in North England. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. Why not? So there you go, dear listener. Our biases are definitely pro, although we definitely understand that, as Heath Huffman said, it is little G good. But that doesn't mean that we can't say little G good really loud. And uh, that's where we are on that. So without any further ado, let's talk about social media, Dalton. Do it. If we must, you can find us on Twitter at good underscore trash if, you know, you want to be on Twitter. 
for reasons I cannot even imagine. I guess you're as broken as I am. That's good underscore trash where you can find all the things that we're doing, uh, you know, such as drops of this show, The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, which we've mentioned, and which Dustin was recently on. A great episode. Uh, if you haven't checked out Dustin's second appearance on The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, I recommend it. I, I don't... Uh, Mostly Heath and Alex were good. No, you were great. Uh, I, I'm not just saying this because I like all the people on that podcast. It was a legitimately like good listen. They uh, Dustin really uh, threw some theology at them that was pretty pretty cool. Uh, and It was really interesting to listen to. They talked some philosophy stuff that was really interesting. Uh, and they talked about uh, Christian electronica music, which was something I did not realize existed. And that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, The Praise Down with Heath and Alex uh, featuring Dustin Sells very recently. You can find all that good content at good underscore trash. That's also a great place to, you know, play games with us and tell us what you think about certain episodes. So do that. We're also on Facebook. Moving on, if you want to send us a long-form uh, feedback that's going to be goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com, you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the show uh, however you put it in your ears. It wouldn't mean a lot to us. Visibility, blah, blah, blah. You've listened to podcasts before. The best way that you can uh, spread the word on the show and help us grow what we're doing here is to just tell people you like. Uh, have a conversation with a friend. That's what this show is all about, is good conversations and thinking critically about the things that we consume with our ears and our eyes. So uh, if that appeals to you and you know somebody it might appeal to, maybe tell them about the show. Last but certainly not least, give me your money, please. That's going to be patreon.com forward slash GTM. Give me your money. Money, money, money. Daddy want check. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not you that big. don't take checks. So no, like... it's cash only. <laughs> uh, it's actually electronic only, isn't it? Oh, I was talking about setting it's up all another in good enterprise. Faith is all it is. Uh, yeah, you know what? It's not a big deal. If you want, it would be super cool. You get access to all the the real sexy stuff we uh, record for the only the patrons. Um, but you know, you know, do do what you feel. Patreon.com forward slash GTM. I'm done. All right, thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. I think I have to untie my tongue so we can play the game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but damn the game, if it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game, she's got game. All right, and we are back, and this week's game is our three-round mythology mashup game. That's right, three-round mythology mashup. Brought to you by Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire. Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale fight dragons in post-apocalyptic medieval punk dragon punk London. And, and, and that's, yeah, we're going to try and make more movies that sound that delightful on paper. So, yeah, this is a game in three rounds, so there's going to be a specific question that you're going to have to answer in each of the three rounds to do your mythology math, uh, mashup. I'm going to give you parameters. So I don't like that. So I don't care what you like. Round one... <laughs> Is Batman versus or Batman with Batman whatever because Christian Bale, as we know, plays. Do you mean Batman. literally Batman or you just mean Christian Bale? Uh, literally Batman. Because you just call actors the roles they play a lot. So, I, and this or is you make a wood reference. No, it's, it's very mahogany. hard. It's very hard to play games with him because he refuses to call actors by their given names. Yes, I know. I mean actual <laughs> Batman. I don't like that. I, I, I no, no. <laughs> I don't like that. You don't this is not what we talked about off air. You it can't is, hijack. It, it's it's a precisely what we talked about. It's what air. you talked about off air. It's not what Arthur and I talked about. <laughs> so, all right, all right. So yeah, you have to come up with. Uh, okay, if you want to do a Christian Bale or other Christian Bale character. Okay. Fine. I want to do Christian Bale, and Matthew McConaughey. I just want more of them together. Well, okay, but what, there's going to be a third round yet. All right, all right. Go ahead. So, first round then is your Christian Bale, um, Batman 
or otherwise. I guess you know the equilibrium gun caught a guy versus. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm not gonna put Christian in a box like that. I'm gonna Whoa. let him do whatever the character tells Amer- him to do. American Psycho Christian Bale versus versus mythological creature. Patrick okay. Bateman. So um, I go to you first, um, Arthur. So Dalton can think. What do you say? So this is Christian Bale. Christian Bale. And mm-hmm. a mythology character. And a mythology character. Okay. Um, so it's an alternate timeline. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the peak of Hitler's rise to power, okay. the centaurs all got fed up with this BS and came out of the woods and uh, enslaved man uh, to end their crap. And now a small resistance led by Christian Bale must rise up to take down the centaurs. Love down, it. Down with the centaurs. Love it. Okay, I I like that very much. That's a that's a fun story, and and it's got this weird sort of World War II connection to it. Mm-hmm. So would we have like would our technology have stopped since we're all enslaved by the centaurs, and so we're using yeah, all I'd assume diesel I, punk kind of stuff. Yeah, probably. Ugh. Oh, love it. Yeah, I'm love all it. in. I like that yeah. a lot. All right, Dalton, what do you say? Um, Christian Bale slash Batman or whatever versus something. Christian Bale is an astronaut in the year three thousand. <laughs> all right, <laughs> maybe Matthew McConaughey's there too. I don't know. Let's go, pilot. Deep space exploration has taken off. And I mean deep, like outside the galaxy, deep space exploration. Okay. And Christian Bale comes across some damn eldritch gods, man. All right. The damn Cthulhu's floating in outer space. <laughs> the Cthulhu's. Yeah. So yeah. This fall on ABC. The Cthulhu family, yeah. Who I like. Meet the Cthulhu's is a show <laughs> that I would watch. The Cthulhu's. But yeah, no, I, I like this idea of uh, the... Dealing with the uh, the infinite horrors of the universe and the the infinite unknowability, the there the be dragons aspect of the far reaches of the stars, and bringing in those those damn spoopy elder gods the, that uh, have been played with so funly by uh, well, let's say Benicio del Toro. Uh, I said Benicio del Toro, Guillermo del Toro. They mm-hmm. were introduced to us by H.P. Lovecraft, but you know historically he kind of sucks. And I think what he did was introduce a really cool idea that a lot of people have been inspired by and played yeah. with more interestingly. So that's what I'm going with is uh versus eldritch gods and in deep horrors from beyond the stars. Awesome, awesome. Well, I like that very much. Now, I would that sort of pitched idea and I just want to say it because I like this title and it makes me laugh and I hope it would make you laugh at home, dear okay. listener. So when I was pitching the idea, an example of this particular category category would be like Batman v Leprechaun's Dawn of Guinness, right? And I think <laughs> I still think that's really funny. It's so dumb. No, oh, you hurt my heart. I love it. No, uh, I do like it. I'm gonna get you, Bruce Wayne. Now, <laughs> we, yeah, we're assuming like a Warwick Davis type leprechaun, yeah, so, right? Yeah, like an extremely evil leprechaun. <laughs> yes, yes, bad leprechauns. Yeah. Except for they're very tall, like in the uh, Neil Gaiman universe. Gotcha. Instead of very short. And he has to outfox them, and they are known for their foxiness. They are very foxy. And Batman has to outfox them. And okay, I like there's this. There is one scene in which Batman encounters a foxy leprechaun, and it gets crazy. Uh, Dustin. Is- Thought way too hard about this movie. No, I'm just making this up. No, he thought very hard about but this. But my actual I'm still stuck on this Meet the Cthulhu's thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I really want me coming to Netflix. But my my actual pick for Batman V okay. is, is a combination of a couple things. Okay. Uh, so um, I don't know if you guys ever read Gotham by Gaslight. I'm aware of it. Which, yeah. is, yeah. which is a great little sort of Batman in Victorian London yeah. looking for Jack the Ripper. But um, Jack the Ripper, obviously not myth- mythological, but I thought, oh, Batman, period piece, Victorian era. And then I've been watching Penny Dreadful, as I mentioned last episode. And I thought, oh, there you go. You've got like the major arcana of the universal monsters. You've got a Wolfman. You've got a uh, Frankenstein's monster. You've got a Dracula. And you've got Batman. Those are, that's I love his, it. Uh, that's his rogues gallery. Yeah. Working in London. 
uh, trying to find and capture these. We can still have Alfred and Alfred be properly British. And all of this, you know, again, in a very, very sort of uh, gaslighty version of the Batman story. Uh, so I want to see Batman versus Universal Monsters in London. You know, they made that movie. It's called, Costello. Uh, it's called Van Helsing. <laughs> <laughs> That's Wolverine versus them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. But it's the it's the movie you're describing. It's just uh, not as executed as well as I uh, think it's pictured yeah. in your brain. So well, I really we... like that, though. That's fun. Okay, so there's round one. Now round two is Leonidas versus... Okay. Or do you want to do Mahogany first? No, we can go with... Butler because he's not as good as Mahogany. You're right. Gerard Butler will be will be fine. So Gerard Butler, he's literally already made this movie. Okay, right? Yeah, yeah. Gods of Egypt. He, he made yeah. the movie. Yeah. yeah, he did do this movie where he fought the gods. Yeah, I think as he was. Leonidas he is one based. of the gods. He's one of the gods. I is think. he a yeah. god? Oh, he's not like Moses or whatever. No, I no. think he's the bad god. Uh. I think he's the bad guy. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I think that's right. That was a weird movie. It is. It was like this an anamorphous thing. Yeah. This is the one with the guy that directed The Crow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And he got real mad because the critics didn't like his movie. He oh. blamed them for his movie <laughs> not making any money. Yeah, that was the reason. That or your movie sucked, bro. Yeah. Well, look, you got to blame somebody when things go oh, wrong. We may revisit in 20 years and be like, oh, he was right. We might. You know That's what? That's the thing about film. It took 16 years for everybody to come around on Rain of Fire. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's pretty cool. All right. So Gerard Butler versus. Gerard okay. Butler versus. Or Leonidas specifically. But yes, whatever you want to do. I'm not that big on 300. Um, Let me see. Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. This is perfect for Gerard Butler. This is the type of thing he plays in. He's already done the Egypt thing. Um, Let's do um, or still one from Guy Pierce. Uh, how about... In the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. Gerard Butler is a backpacker who's got to take a, uh, a family out into the woods, and while on their treks, they encounter the Wendigo. Mm, I like mm, that. I do like and that. So it's more of a kind of a horror film. Yeah. Uh, spooky ooky. Now, are we setting like standard day? Like, yeah, I think so. Okay. Or, or we could do it like in the seventies. Oh, that would be fun. fun. Yeah. That'd be a fun aesthetic. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I want to do you one better. I want to have Brian Fuller working on it, and I want his Wendigo aesthetic to be like the, the Wendigo aesthetic. From Hannigo, oh. Hannibal, Handigo. Yeah, <laughs> that's a mashup. That's the movie's Handigo. Hand, hand, hand yeah, <laughs> awesome. That's actually the martial art that they perform in <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> oh my it's god! His gun yes. kata. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for that. Okay, you're Gerard Butler versus Go. Mm, okay, so I really love the aesthetic of medieval punk in this movie. So I, I'm going to go ahead and tease that out a little bit further, and let's say, okay, let's just get all a full cornucopia of medieval fantasy. I want some damn orcs. I want some more dragons. I want some some trolls. Give me all that stuff, but make it the post-apocalypse. I, I like this setting of what if uh, modern people just get completely ransacked by fantasy creatures, and I say, let's go full bore. Let's have uh, Gerard Butler leading the resistance uh, against the, the you know the legions of Sauron or whatever whatever the the Dark Lord du jour. It's basically what if Lord of the Rings and the good guys lost, and once the movie after the good guys lose. Okay. And I like this idea again. I like the aesthetic of Reign of Fire so much. I'm like, let's really double down on it and get even more fantasy in this world. Let's throw some magic in here. Let's get it real wacky. Awesome, awesome. I and like I think it. I think Gerard Butler's got the the goof. The, not even the goofery. I, I think he could sell that movie, though. I think it's the movie for him. Yeah, I think so. 
Um, so I want to do the White House down Olympus Has Fallen mm-hmm. kind of Gerard Butler. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a case... The diehard knockoff yeah, Gerard the, Butler. The diehard knockoff Butler. This is a president kidnap caper okay. in which the president has been kidnapped. And this is his penance for those movies and their sort of unapologetic nationalism. The president has been kidnapped by a severely disillusioned set of American folklore characters. I'm talking about Paul Bunyan, Babe the Blue Ox... <laughs> Oh my Johnny Appleseed. John Henry. John Henry. Yeah. They have, they have taken the president and he has got to get them back and pay for the sins. Mr. Butler, you could have saved him. <laughs> we, we gave, gave you, you all, all the clues. clues. <laughs> Damn, I kind of like that. And uh, yeah, it's a very ridiculous sort of a mashup between. So it's Tall Tale, but. Tall Tale meets American Gods meets Gerard Butler, yes. <laughs> I kind of like it. That would work. I, yeah, I don't hate this idea. <laughs> so There's that, something to that. Uh, <laughs> Why are they disgruntled? I, uh, because what we've done. Capitalism? Um, well, that plus Trump, uh, which is the natural result of capitalism. Is but he the president in your movie? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Played I'm by sorry. Alec Baldwin. Let him have him. We just wrote an $80 million movie. Give us our money. <laughs> give us our money. Give it now. Give it. Give it. <laughs> this is the most productive. We'll find somebody smarter than us to make this movie. Uh, you guys work That's on that a movie. movie and That's I'm a movie. I'm going to be writing my uh, se- season outline for uh, <laughs> Meet the Cthulhu's. Meet the Cthulhu's. Oh, my gosh. If All I right. had a working knowledge of H.P. Lovecraft, I would write that show and put it on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, Netflix, give us some money. We'll, we'll, we'll find somebody smarter <laughs> than us to make it happen. Uh, it's like Welcome to Night Vale, but like yeah. a family trope. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Uh, it's the Cthulhu. He got home at 5.30. He got stuck in traffic. He's late for dinner. Yeah. Uh, his wife's nagging at him. Cthulhu. Yeah. Yeah, it's a family sitcom, but Night Vale. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, sh- it writes itself. Yeah. Uh, Holy shit. All right. Uh, moving on. I'm going to be mad if we see this show on television in the next five years. Moving on to round three. Not versus, but Matthew Mahogany falls in love with. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So, Go. All right, all right, all right. Um, okay, it's it's just the near future. It's like 2025. This is this movie is set in 2020, which is hilarious, very funny, um, and kind of sad. Which is what 2020 is likely to look like. Yep, at this rate, yes. Um, so let's say it's like 2025, 2030, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, you know, so everything's just a little little more futuristic than than what it kind of like her. You mm-hmm. know, it's just a little futuristic. I like that element. Uh, but uh, Matthew McConaughey is a archaeologist. Uh, and he's on a new dig in Egypt uh, where they've just discovered a new tomb. And while he's digging around down in that hole, he falls 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 head over heels in love with uh, the Sphinx. And he's got to solve the Sphinx's riddle to win her heart. Love it. I like love it. it. I like it. Uh, mine's also going to be an ar- archaeological pool, so that's interesting. Moving on then, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Mine is also a future pool. You know what? I want Matthew McConaughey in a cyberpunk world. I need it. I want it. He's just dirty enough and weird enough and crazy-eyed enough to absolutely smash it to pieces. And you know what goes good in cyberpunk? Being night. You know what's scary at night? Vampires. Give me Matthew McConaughey and a cyberpunk movie with vampires. Yeah. Uh, And it's sexy and weird. And people have got robot arms and AIs. And Matthew McConaughey is just doing his thing. All right, I like that. Yeah, I know. You just want to watch this movie now. I do want to watch this movie. Done. 
And so my Matthew Mahogany movie is a uh, Indiana Jones. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to stop doing it. I know you're not. No, uh, I know. I'm just I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> is there a movie with him and Kidman in it? Because we have to do it on the show at some oh, with point. With Nicole Kindling? <sighs> like mahogany and the Kindling? Will they catch fire? I hate him so much. <laughs> He has no respect for anyone. <laughs> None whatsoever. No, so this is like his Indiana Jones feature, right? Okay. Uh, but it's also Indiana Jones meets the Santa Claus meets Valentine's Day. So he finds Cupid's bow and arrow and inherits the role of Cupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a real The Tooth Fairy starring... Uh, yeah, the, Dwayne uh, The Rock Johnson. That, wait, was, that, was yeah. that The Rock? Or Vin Diesel. Is it Vin Diesel or Vin The Rock? Diesel. No, the, the Rock. It's The Rock. That's right. Vin it's, Diesel's the pacifier. Yep. That's yep. it, yeah. I think but The Rock is also the babysitter, right? Isn't that a thing that happened? I don't remember. There, you, I mean, there's a couple of movies in the mid-2000s where it's like, wait, was that Vin Diesel <laughs> or The Rock? That's why it's so great that they, they fought each other in Fast and Furious 5. But he's got to spend the whole movie, you know, finding the perfect match for somebody else and then realizes the perfect match for him has been right there before his eyes all along. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right. It's, 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 it's exactly those 90s Matthew McC- Hogany. Oh, you had almost. to make yourself I, I, do it wrong. I almost said it right. Oh, I feel so dirty. You say it right three times, he'll show up no. with a bong and a uh, and bongos. His bongos. Yep, <laughs> bongos. Hey, if he comes with a dragon, I'm in. But otherwise, I'm out. All right. All right. Well, enough of this. And a Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that's done. what it is. He shows up with a Lincoln. <laughs> ah! Oh, it is definitely. Wait, we missed the perfect opportunity. <laughs> Wait. What? Where he teams up with Abraham Lincoln. Son of a bitch. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> As his lawyer. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, it's a wrestling movie. It's a film about wrestling set before Abe's presidential run. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's about yeah, it's folk, a wrestling, like folk wrestling yeah. in the 1850s. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, yeah, we should probably get down to business. Yeah. You're right. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. <laughs> it's fine, actually. Or perhaps he was talking to the dog. And we're back. We are back. And we are talking a bit more about uh, whatever we're talking about. Rain of Fire. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> What's even happening here? Hey, um, so we're going to do some analysis on the film. That is what we are here to do. And I'm going to begin with my sort of one and only point. You guys brought up a couple other interesting points. We'll deal with them uh, later. But this movie's about like 9-11, right? Which is weird because, you know, definitely in production before 9-11 happens. Because uh, it's early O2, I think, is when it comes out. Yeah. So there's no way it goes into production after that. But yeah, it kind of is. Shaped on it, I think. I mean, I, I feel like maybe it got some influence from those events and what happened. Well, uh, yeah, it does. But it, it's it's crazy how it's like this perfect parallel, right? So what you have is this guy scarred by something that happens in like the underground. And there are some train attacks that end up happening in the future later after this. But he's scarred by this moment of terrorism where this evil threat from the medieval period has risen back from the dead that we thought was no longer a problem and suddenly is on the major world stage bringing catastrophe and destruction all around us. And people want to huddle up and be safe and be careful of far, far away from But what? What happens is it's still just raining terror everywhere around us, and we need the Americans to show up and remind us that you've got to bring the fight to the enemy instead of waiting for the enemy. You can't have any security unless you go over there and you go into their house and you take out what is theirs, and then you can, you know, get yourself into a, a never-ending war somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, the movie is 
so much an approximation of sort of the Tony Blair slash George Bush foreign policy and that post 9-11 world. I, I don't know if we have anything more to say about it. I mean, it feels pretty on the nose when you spell it out. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, mean, and again, clearly by accident, but it's these kind of narratives that do, yeah. in fact, lead to these things happening. Well, I think that was just kind of the state of film in, in 2002, 2003, for sure, you know. I mean, yeah. It, it was, I mean, it did. It, it, Change the movie. I mean, Hollywood for for quite a while. Yeah, we went through a lot of growing pains as you know, people who like to tell you know, as human beings telling each other stories. Yeah. There's some growing pains there, figuring out like what does this mean for us as a species? How yeah. do we talk about this? And it kind of pushed us back. And you know, we've I can't remember when, maybe when we did Office Space or something. We talked about '99, and mm-hmm. we talked about you know the 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 late '90s, moving into the early aughts was really a very existential kind of period for American cinema. And then nine eleven happens, and it kind of shifted us back, and, and caused you know the Hollywood to re-question some some older older issues that we had already tackled several times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's it's like you know dragons are the terrorists, and well, you... I think more interesting than that. Uh, this is I think a good place to segue into mm-hmm. what else could the dragons be? And I, I think Arthur mentioned uh, right before we we started analysis. Uh, the dragons kind of do represent uh, people sticking their noses where it doesn't belong, right? Uh, this ecological pushback from the earth if we go yeah. too far and taking advantage of the earth. Yeah, this whole thing is kicked off. I mean, it's set in the modern day, you know, whatever year it is. But what, like, Tw- I think it's 2010, then future yeah. 2010, and Something then they like jump that. ahead to 2020. But uh, we've we've got uh, some somebody there. They're in London and they're digging or something like that, and it's you know they're building and getting too far into the world, and that's when we un- unleash the dragon. Yeah, well, it's a power source made from a reptilian beast right down below, and they they make fire right, and by their production of uh, smoke and fire, they produce lots of ash, and you know again cover the planet. So it's like Sinclair's dinosaur is petroleum. It's 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 the global catastrophe, and so yeah, I mean, there's a way in which you could just read it that way as well, um, which is I, I'm talking about some of the sort of. Part of the point I'm trying to make here with this and with the 9-11 thing, as you guys were talking about it, is the way in which there are certain signs that just work, and it's not because, like, the uh, Room 237 thing, Mm -hmm. where it's just empty and you can bring whatever to it. It's that there's a time when a moment is happening where we're facing the ecological crisis, and people are becoming more and more aware of that in 2002, and we are facing a moment where 9-11 has just happened, and we've got a crazy sort of... Um, distressed issue when it comes to security and terror, right? And you put those things together, and the movies are going to display that. That's a very good point. I mean, whether things are being said on purpose or not is almost irrelevant, because at a certain point, you do reach a change in that that unconscious of, of people. What are we thinking about? What are the things that are weighing on us? Um, and I think it's no surprise that there is a huge boom of apocalyptic narratives from the yeah. year 2000 through now. Mm-hmm. And I think we keep telling each other more and more. I think that's why superhero movies are so popular. The end of the world doesn't feel like a a thing that's not possible. It feels like an inevitability. And I, I think that is why these world-ending narratives are so powerful. There's that movie, you know, um, Tomorrowland uh, that Brad Bird did, and it's all about how our movies are too sad. No, we're too sad. That's why the movies are sad. And mm-hmm. we have to kind of interrogate that feeling. You can't just make it be hopeful, make tell people they need to be hopeful, and then then it's fixed. You have to focus on getting through the catastrophe that you caused. And I think that's what films like Reign of 
uh, fire kind of speak to is the certainty of eventually we're going to do something dumb that we can't take back and really fuck the planet up for ourselves. Whatever, whether that's with each other, with the environment, it doesn't matter what. Eventually something will happen, something will get broken that's going to stay broke pretty bad. And you could argue that's happened a couple of times throughout human history. We've broke something pretty bad and have had to adapt and evolve and change to refigure how we're going to live with each other uh, with certain things. Uh, This gets touched on kind of interestingly with the the way food gets distributed in in this castle, right? Mm -hmm. Because Christian Bale says, you know, no, we're going to have to go hungry for a while more because, yeah, there's crops. We've got to wait for them to germinate so we have something to plant next season. Um, and yeah, some people might not make it till it's time to harvest, but we gotta wait. And right. uh, this uh, this guy and his kids and his family decide we're gonna take off with the harvest and let out of here. And I do think it's interesting that uh, this idea that in this communal living that they're forced to do, it reminds you that working to the common good isn't always easy when you're worried your kids specifically are going to starve. Self-interest is no longer the primary interest, yeah. Yeah, and and trying to remind people that that's kind of how it always is. Mm-hmm. Is uh, is an interesting thing for this movie to be wrestling with, I think. Right, and I, it's interesting that you bring up the sort of apocalyptic metaphor um, earlier um, about just that time and that place. And this is where we can do some actual theory, just a little bit of theory, like a quote from a theorist. So Frederick Jameson talks about sort of uh, the, the the crises uh, that we deal with in terms of the war on terror, and the crises that we deal with in terms of ecological disaster. All of them being sort of result. Uh, results of late capitalism and that sadness and that pessimism that we experience. Jameson is uh, famously quoted for saying that we can much more easily envision the end of the world, so to speak, than we can the end of capitalism. We cannot envision a situation in which we come to a point where we stop doing these practices, we stop continuing in this systematic exploitation, the systematic self-destruction, the systematic uh, ramping up of more and more terror. Rather, that only can come to an end if some amazing uh, intervening hand of God-like catastrophe were to come, and then maybe something else, but more likely just we're going to keep running on this track until the world basically ends and we find ourselves in some sort of soft or hard reboot uh, kind of period. And so, yeah, this movie is reflective of that same sort of sentiment as well. I think. So, uh, you know, that's fun. Yeah. That. <laughs> Thanks, Frederick Jameson. Well, he's not wrong. No, he's not, and that's the problem. Uh, and I think that's what this movie gets at is uh, very effectively that there is uh, a certain amount of we are not prepared to survive whole-scale catastrophe because we don't don't work towards the common good. Um, that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Big problem. And so, yeah. And, and I, I would like to see a time and a place and a moment. And I heard somebody talk not very long ago about the a recent cycle of superhero movies and uh, making an argument for the superiority of the MCU versus the DCU. And this is sort of a nerd conversation in which I don't have a dog in the fight. No, but I think it's interesting in the context of apocalyptic films because as common as apocalyptic films are, films where the apocalypse is nigh are super common Mm -hmm. uh, as they pertain to superheroes. So I think it's relevant. And the comment was basically something along these lines, that the DCU is reflective of this sort of, you know, greasy, gritty, dirty pessimism, and what we need right now are not movies that are reflective of our time. What we need are shining, bright, clean 
heroes. Aspirational. Aspirational, standing for the good thing. That's In the moment in which we live right now, what we need most from cinema is not something that shows us the grim darkness of our reality and of our present situation, but gives us some sort of level of hope. And, I mean, you know, as you look at films cyclically, and again, we're, te- we're saying we're dealing with this film in terms of that great moment, great moment, that awful moment of uh, 9-11 and that awful moment of, again, sort of just realizing the writing is on the wall with the uh, impending ecological disaster, that uh, what we see in uh, cycles of Hollywood film is something very, very similar. So immediately following the Great Depression, we begin to have this sort of aspirational moment and uh, this this very, very sort of golden age uh, kind of look in the 1930s. And the moments after we get through with the Holocaust, yes, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, attention given to film noir, but film noir made up a very small percentage of what was being produced. I mean, it was a time of the Westerns where the good hero rides into the bad town, and there are some baddies out there, but there's a good hero with a white hat on who can sling that gun faster than all those other baddies and take them out. And this person, again, was making this argument that what we need right now more than anything is a Captain America. What we need more than anything is a Wonder Woman um, that is shiny and clean and aspirational rather than... Well, and I think that's why Wonder Woman's been the uh, film from that franchise that has uh, had the most success, both critically and financially. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's something to that. And I think what's interesting as those ideas pertain back to this common good idea is the way these characters have... Uh, Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey play off of each other. Can't remember either of their character names because it's that kind of movie. Uh, Quinn and Van Zandt. There we go. Mm-hmm. Devin. Devin. Quinn and Devin. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's character Van Zandt is, is interesting because he is this assumption that he as the the warrior is the most equipped to lead. Yeah. And his whole character arc is accepting that he knows how to kill dragons and that's it. He doesn't know how to lead people. And it's Quinn accepting that sometimes he has to relinquish control a little bit to the guy who knows how to kill dragons. And it is finding that balance of the person who is utterly committed to the common good and the balance of that person that says, there might not be a common good unless we go kill this thing that's going to kill us. And I, I think the balance of those two characters is really one of the most interesting aspects of the film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it sits at the nexus of what we've been talking about with this, how these narratives of heroes and apocalypses kind of line up together. Right. Is it, there's no one kind of hero. It does take a couple of different kinds of heroes to make things work. You do need the relentless pursuit of an adversary because there is a tendency to live and let live, and then those sleeping dogs do not always lie. Exactly. Right. And but then, you need that person that tempers that that says, if we don't keep our humanity while we're doing this, what are we fighting for? Yeah, we need to find. Yeah, yeah, we need to, we need to make sure we maintain our humanity and maybe find some way towards resolution, if at all possible. You know, yeah. Consider all possibilities. Exhaust them before you finally go into the sort of layer. The don't beast. go looking for a last stand. Yeah. You, that's, you don't, and that's that's the, the whole character arc of McConaughey's character is trying not to look for one, and, you know, still ends up looking for a last stand, and that's what gets him killed. He gets pushed he, to one. He keeps looking for a last stand, and he does, yes, get pushed to one. A very epic one. Hey, guys, any movie that features Matthew McConaughey Jumping at a dragon with no shirt on holding a battle axe is a movie that's okay in my book. Man, I tell you what. I mean, that shot is so bonkers and ridiculous, but I loved it. It's the best kind of crazy, and I I absolutely love it. But I I think that's really what holds this movie together is the interplay of those two characters. It's really the only thing that makes it work. 
quite I, as well as it does is and those performances from those two really talented actors. Totally, totally. Um, last thing I want to talk about is uh, the meta narrative, mm-hmm. the the sort of ways in which we are telling. So we are dealing with a story that is set in a possible future in which dragons have been released, and so it is. Br- it, there's a there's a line there saying you know all the fables and mythologies and religious language that we'd used up at this point turns out it was more right and more true than we thought, and so that's impinging on the future. It is in some ways uh, we see when Christian Bale get Batman on a horse runs out after you know setting up the triangulation devices or whatever so they can fight the dragons. It is very they much they fight a, the dragons with skydiving by the way, sky- which we have not talked about. There is a skydiving. <laughs> oh, it's so. Good. Oh, this movie. Archangels. Um, but they do all this stuff, but it, he's very much a knight errant, right? He's very yeah. much a, a yeah. he's, he's in a castle for crying out loud. Yeah. You know, he's the goodly lord, the good knight who's taking care of his people. You know, so it's got this very, very medieval sort of fairy tale thing uh, working for it. And also they are telling each other stories and they're telling each other stories about a white knight and a black knight, except for it's Darth Vader and uh, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, which is just precious it's a good moment so what do we think about this movie as a meta text is is really the question i want to ask what is what what is it saying about storytelling well i i think generally it's it's playing off the idea that this is a universal story type right i mean just going back to the good guy the bad guy there's a good guy and there's an evil and i think that is, is it's kind of exploring the idea is is this an age old uh narrative that could continue to work and i i think it you know i think it it does, and I think that's kind of what it's looking at is is um, stripping down uh, all all storytelling to its more most basic uh, backbone and, and analyzing whether or not it still exists and whether it is still capable of working uh, in in a modern time. Yeah, I think so too. I I think it's that just it's doing a Joseph Campbell kind of thing. Here is the big myth, you know, you've got to forsake some commitments so that you can do the best thing because there is a dragon to slay. Whatever that dragon is, whether it's Darth Vader or, you know, the Stixies of the Dark Crystal or in the, you know, I mean, you know, we, and I use that as a sort of weird example because all of these stories sort of fall into that same kind of Campbellian sort of pattern. Well, and, and I think very early in the film, as you mentioned, there's that point made by Christian Bale, our greatest weapon now is knowledge. Mm-hmm. And there is something to be said for, yeah, they take credit for writing Star Wars, and it's adorable, because they know that it's a good story to tell these kids. It's thrilling and exciting and adventurous and has real emotional stakes with real characters that tells you something about how to be a good person in the world. And that's literally all we're trying to do ever is tell each other how to be good people in the world. Uh, which is uh, why I get so mad at something like Revenge of the Green Dragons from last week. Because there's no empathy. I have no empathy for anyone in that film because the film doesn't have empathy for anyone. That's fair. And I, it's it's bereft. This film has empathy for Gerard Butler. Come on. That is a feat. Come on. Need I say more? His death means something in this film. It is the silly drunk friend who finally has to say... This is what I stand for. It's making sure my buddy is able to keep taking care of these people that I know he is the person to do this job. It's a good movie. Absolutely. That's a good movie when you care that Gerard Butler dies because he wants to make sure Christian (laughs) Bale can uh, take care of the the last remnants of humanity. It's, It's good stuff, man. I totally agree. Storytelling's important. All righty. Well, um, unless you guys have any other burning candles of analyses you want to bring, let's bring this movie to a verdict. Shelf for trash, elsewhere instead. I go to you first, Arthur. 
What do you say? Shell for trash, rain of fire, else or instead? You know what? Yeah, I'm going to put it on the shelf. I'm very glad I watched this movie. Um, sad I put it off for so long. Uh, but I think I appreciate it more now than I would have uh, in previous times. So, yeah, go ahead. Put it on the shelf. Why not? Um, I think with it, I would watch, uh, I want to watch Tremors. Uh, yes. Which I think pairs well here. I, I think it would be a fun double feature. Uh, I would also pair it with Dragonheart. Uh, probably the other most uh, well-known and well-liked uh, dragon movie the last couple of decades. Yep. Um, I don't know how anybody ever thought Dennis Quaid as leading man uh, would work, but it does occasionally. As a British uh, leading man, I don't know that it works <laughs> It's an odd choice. Does Dennis Quaid do an accent in that movie? He tries. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's, great. It's more like an, uh, an American just doing like a really fancy voice. You know what I mean? Like oh. quite fancy with the British. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Uh, that's that's kind of what happens, I think. Where they yeah, think. Keanu Reeves and Dracula. Yeah. Uh, oh man. <laughs> uh, but you got Sean Connery voicing the dragon. That's a lot of fun. Um, and then he still looks pretty good. You know, it's from '96, and he looks pretty decent. Uh, and finally, I would also, just because it's a goofy good time, uh, at least it was for me, I would say uh, Battle Los Angeles uh, with Aaron Eckhart. I had forgotten about that um, movie. I, I watched that movie in, in theaters, and I, I did thought too. it was a blast. And, and so, yeah, watch that one. Uh, I, I think uh similar idea, kind of a little futuristic, some uh, invading outside forces and uh, war, for, uh, war for your... Uh, humanity uh, and so I, I i would pair those with this one all righty well thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon what do you say mr dalton Stewart? shelf for trash elsewhere instead i am also going to put this on the shelf i think this is a a lost oddity that is really something kind of special i just think i think there's a lot that works here um it's much better than i i think you you would possibly be prepared to accept i i, I am shocked at how good this movie is and i say it's definitely shelfable because how many movies have guys that fight a dragon by skydiving on top of it. How many movies Not have enough. it? Not enough. Not enough. That's my answer. So what do you pair with it? Well, I say you go find another oddity from each of the three main actors in this film. First up is Frailty with Matthew McConaughey and uh, Bill Paxton. A really, really good, really weird movie that I, I honestly don't want to tell you guys that much about because I feel like we should do it on the show sometime. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's uh, about murder, but maybe it's also about demons, but maybe it's not. It's uh, it's something strange. I oh, think it's it, Twin Peaks. Uh, a man confesses to an FBI agent his family story of how his religious fanatic father's visions led to a series of murders to destroy supposed demons. I'm not going to tell you anything about this movie, but I'm going to tell you everything. I'm just going to go ahead movie. and tell you because it's <laughs> it's such a good hook. It's such it a is. good hook. It is. And it's it's a, it's a forgotten McConaughey gem, and it's McConaughey doing the true detective thing of let me tell you a story um, about 10 years before that happened. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, next up, we've got 310 to Yuma. I, I think... Uh, oh, that's a good movie. Good I, I agree. Good it's call. a really good film, and it is just kind of lost in Christian Bale's filmography. It's got a great Christian James Bale. James Mangold, right? James Mangold. Got a great Christian Bale, great Russell Crowe, and a great Ben Foster. Um, honestly... Matthew McConaughey could have played the Ben Foster role in 310 to Yuma. That would have been really interesting. And the original with uh, Robert Mitchum, if memory 
Eraser. I think Mitchum's is, in it. Yeah, is, is really good. Too. I've never seen the original, but I've, I've heard that it's also quite good. But Ma- Mangold's remake uh, from 2007, I think. I I love that movie. I think it's great. I used to like it. Uh, my most recent rewatch, I I really kind of fell in love with it all over again. So finally, the weirdest one, Gerard Butler in Coriolanus. Directed uh, yeah. by Ray Fiennes, starring Ray Fiennes. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's real good. Um, it's uh, a modern update of the story Coriolanus, which is about you know a Roman general and his uh, exile from Rome and teaming up with the the renegade fighter that uh, he became a hero for defeating. This case played by Gerard Butler, and they uh, they swap out Rome. Uh, I mean, it's still Rome. It's just a modern day, modern day right? and the uh, the Celtics and the Gauls are uh, well, they're terrorists. Uh, they're they're freedom fighters uh, in their own right. Uh, it, it's a very interesting movie, and uh, with some really cool fight scenes. Um, and I'll tell you what, Gerard Butler does Shakespeare better than you think. He's you know he he's got the chops for it. I just don't think he gets uh, he needs the chops of the shouty guy. Mm. Every Shakespeare play's got it. One shouty guy. And he's good at being that shouty guy. So that, that those are my picks for else some some forgotten gems from the, the leads in this film. Excellent, excellent. I am also going to say shelf. I mean, what am I not going to shelf? Batman fights dragons. I mean, seriously, it's very good. Yeah, and it, it's a lot of fun, and we've had a great conversation about it. Um, I'm going to get recommend two sort of 9/11 uh, blockbuster e blockbuster esque blockbuster adjacent uh, films. In addition to all the films recommended by my dear co-host. First of all, um, how about we do this thing? How about we do Zero Dark Thirty with dragons. Does that sound like a pitch to you? That might be something that you'd be interested in? Um, yeah, no. That makes sense. Zero Dark Thirty with dragons. That yeah. movie is I like The that. 13th Warrior with Antonio Banderas. I remember this movie, and I don't... Based on Michael Crichton. By Michael Crichton's The Eaters of I the watched Dead. part of it as a kid, and I... I it was too weird for me. It, it is weird, and it is a mess as far as like distinguishing the different thirteen of the Vikings. And so you've got little bits of the Hobbit, you've got little bits of uh, lots of sort of standard you know dragon stories, but it's also like a non supernatural version uh, of of the same thing as well. And we have uh, we have a threat. We have a again this 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 threat to security that needs to be faced, but also it's a bit more multicultural because part of the help is provided by somebody from um, Mecca, basically, and from Saudi Arabia, and that's a good thing. Wait, that's where Antonio Banderas' character is from? Yeah, which is a problem, but Anyway, just to consider it okay. Zero Dark Thirty versus Dragons. That's pretty and cool. There's a bad guy. You've got to stop the bad guy so you can stop all the rest of the bad guys. And you got to become friends with Vikings, and, and everybody knows that's hard. And yeah, yeah, and, and Vikings and well, Arabs have to become friends, which is also hard. I think being friends with Arabs is harder than being friends with Vikings. It's Easier than being friends with Vikings. I agree with that statement. Vikings are scary. Yes, they are. They like to throw grog down and see if you, they can pick you up. Yes, and Arabs care about cleanliness, and so that makes it difficult for them to want to be friends with Vikings. I like being clean. I well, me too. I like to be clean. Yeah, that's why I'd get along better with an Arab than a I'm Viking. I'm saying I like. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to drink grog with those guys. They're so dirty. And the other one is a full-out blockbuster, but I'm recommending The Dark Knight. Um, yeah, because I mean, yeah. it is a great 9/11. Um, We're at the 10-year superhero. mark. It's a good time to rewatch it. Yeah, I think so, and so I recommend it as well. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got longer, and that was fun. That was better than the week uh, prior when we did Revenge of the Green Dragon, which I was not enthused about maybe doing any. So you want to do one more? Uh, I could do one more right now. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's change it up a bit. Let's uh, let's uh, enter into waters that only Matthew McConaughey knows better than us. Uh, let's, let's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3? <laughs> the, no. the new generation. What are you doing over there? 
What are you doing? Sorry. What are you doing over there? Oh, you know. The show's not over yet, man. Just just being an idiot. <laughs> just just being an idiot. You know, the huge. Well, next week, let's uh let's go into some rom-com. I'm ready for it. Let's uh let's hit one of the heavy-hitting rom-coms. Let's uh let's look at the oh, it's his first entry into this show, I believe. Oh my god, I think you're right. I think this is our first Tom Hanks movie. <gasps> is it really? I believe it is. Oh wow. My gosh, how do we manage that? I don't know. Well, you know what? This is a good first one. It is because we're going to talk Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle. Fun times. I am excited. And probably one of the last actor actress pairings. Like, yeah, the, the, the same way. There's a couple. I mean, Gosling and Gosling Stone. and Stone for sure. A little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Meg Ryan and um, and um, oh my God, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks sorry. Yeah, I mean they had that. They had um, you've got mail. I mean they had that real Joe versus volcano. They had that real I love Joe Fred uh, Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire thing going. Yeah, yeah. I mean they really did. So uh, it'll be fun. I think you're right, Arthur. I, I don't think you can talk think of a pairing like that that's that concrete after the early '90s. No, I can't. Talk well, I guess we'll find out next week. Yeah, we'll talk about it. All right, yeah, we'll do that because that's what we're all about is having those conversations, talking the movies with you all. So you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For all things Good Trash, head on over to www.goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is made by friend of the show Aaron Rodgers, and our outro music is Ring of Fire by the great Johnny Cash. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire the ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went to